Hello and welcome to Can You Hear Me at the Back, the podcast about all things voice and communication. Hi Leon. Hi Andrea. How are you? I'm all right. Where are you? I am in, I'm Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. I mean, transatlantic. <laughs> and, and last time we talked about semantics. Mm-hmm. No, we didn't talk about semantics, we talked about syntax. Yes. And it occurred to me more recently that syntax, we should probably explain what syntax is. Mm-hmm. So um, very quickly, it is the word order. <laughs> yeah. So I had, a, I had an amazing professor who said it in the best way. It huh. was like um, changing syntax is like changing the furniture in your house. Like it has a place where it likes to be and likes to live. But if you change it up a bit, you walk in and it looks like a completely different place. And that's what it's like learning different languages that have different syntax. Ah. I really like that image of like walking into your house and being like, everything looks similar, but everything's in a different place. Yeah. I like it. So yeah, so like the object and the subject and the verb and the noun would be in a different order or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So English is subject, verb, object, um, and there's some languages that are subject, object, verb. Mm. So, yeah. So that and that's hard. So Andrea, mm-hmm. in a movement and a sound. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all the way live from Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's your sound and the movement? How you feel? Today, today is that's it. Ooh. Yeah, cool. Leon. Yeah. What your sound and movement today? My sound and movement today is. So, what are we talking about today? Um, today we are talking about um my mesis or um as some people call it, my medic representation. Oh, and before we carry on as well, we have to say that we're actually genuinely doing this. I'm in London and Andre is genuinely in Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts, off the Americas. Um, <laughs> and so uh, if there is a slight delay or we have to repeat stuff, it is because we are like literally doing it across an ocean. So my Mises. Yeah. We mentioned it last week and it was my, it was my realisation at the end that I love the word mimesis. Yeah. And, and that you're like the only person I know who says mimesis <laughs> or mimetic or any of those things. Probably. So, and then you mentioned Play-Doh and mm-hmm. I pretty much thought of nothing else since. So let's break it down. I first found out about mimesis um, in undergrad. I did a course called... Um, critical approaches to English literature and I just fell in love um, and basically I associate Plato and Mimesis together um, Plato came up with this thing called the theory of forms which is basically um, Plato really thought that there was um, this like abstract world out there so when we communicate with each other like let's say we're talking about a chair right um, there is the physicalization of the of the sounds, right? Air, right? Um, but then sometimes that that conjures up like a mental image, right? Um, and the closer 
um, which, which goes to like an abstract form of it. And the farther away we get from the abstract form, right, this kind of mental, um, amazing, perfect description of a chair, um, the more imperfect the communication gets, um, which leads to like written communication. Um, so mimesis is the attempt to reproduce something that was already kind of the best form of it. That's how I can describe it, which is really complicated. It is really complicated. It was, it's used, basically he thought that written word was crap because like, I, like you're writing it down. It's so far removed from what it is in someone's mental construction of it that it's just really like. So like the written word is not sufficient enough Sufficient enough. It's not sufficient to really encapsulate what that chair is like. Because if you say chair, you might think of a wooden chair with like a wooden back. I might think of a chair, like an Eames chair, like I'm sitting on now. Or I could be thinking of an armchair or like a stackable plastic school chair. So chair is so generic and so arbitrary that it doesn't give us sufficient information. Right. And some people might not even think of a chair and some people like, and some people saying they're like, Oh, something that you sit on could be considered a chair. So then we're broadening it to a whole bunch of things. Right. And so interesting because it's something that I've said for quite a long time and not known what it is, which is brilliant that it's now my Mises and it's one of my favorite words. I often use the phrase, uh, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Right. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, that's exactly which is, what that is. Right. So it comes back to that notion of like, well, we've only just agreed that a rose is called a rose because it's called a rose. Sure. And in other languages, it ain't called a rose. So like by any other name, it would be, it would still be the same thing. We'd just describe it as something different and all names and all nouns and all verbs and everything are just made up anyway. And all we've done is agreed on having agreed mm -hmm. or, you know, we've made the same sort of sounds and What's, what's fascinating, what's fascinating to me about coming out of this conversation and language generally is that, that we, we had a chair mm -hmm. and we, we, we could see the chair, we could touch the chair, we could smell the chair, we could sense the chair. Mm -hmm. And then we were like, what happens when we, we are not near the chair? And I can't be like that. And, and then I walk away from the chair and then I go, I wonder if the chair still exists if I'm not touching the chair. Mm -hmm. And then you go, whoa, hold on. That's like existential philosophy and everything else that goes on. Mm -hmm. Just from like not standing next to a chair. Yeah, but that's one of the differences between like when people talk about like a sophisticated animal languages and human languages, it tends to be that animals can't talk about things that aren't in front of them or directly related to them, but humans can. So I can talk about you even though you're not physically present with me, or I can talk about the idea of a pelican, even though I might not have ever seen a pelican like in reality or interactive with the pelican at all, but I kind of know the rules around it and I can describe that to you and, and all that jazz. And that's what makes us like unique in terms of languages and communicating, as far as we know. And, and I guess in terms of imagination as well, mm -hmm. because then you think about people like 
um, Lewis Carroll mm-hmm. and writing things like the Jabberwocky and coming up with stuff that's just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you've got like Tolkien and you've got, you know, all the other people who've made up stuff that doesn't exist, um, which we, uh, too, too short on time to name all of those people, but um, nonetheless, there's still these people who have created these things out of being able to imagine something that isn't there and yet describe it. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite things, um, and my ideal job, just putting this out there. Guys, um, <laughs> if you're hiring, um, get in hiring. touch, you know the email address. Um, um, is recreating um, accents or dialects from things that we don't have audio from. So people get, people, I used, um, had a whole bunch of students ask me constantly about, I think it was an American horror story. It was Kathy Bates had done this. Um, they're like, oh, her accent is very weird. And she was playing this like um, colonial woman. Uh, yeah. Things. And, they, and it also happens, I think, on turn with the guy who is in Billy Elliot, whose name I can't remember right now. Um, but it's a show, I think, I think it's on Amazon. But they're also in colonial times. And one of the things that we are not 100% sure of it is exactly how it sounded. Because remember talking about, um, you know, was it rhotic? Was it not rhotic? Like, who yeah. were the people who were coming over? What were the influences, right? And there are all these things that we have no audio bites um you know from it so it's not like i can go and look it up on idea and be like oh you know let's just look let's just type in 1792 for like yeah. great clips. um so you get you do get like creative freedom in it but in a way you're creating like your own linguistic representation of what you think what would have happened at that time so it's incredibly creative but at the same time incredibly personal because you do have to draw on things that you know so this is like when we talk about like um you know you can't talk about things that you don't know i mean part of that is true because you have no scope for it right like i can't just make up you can't make sounds that are not already in your soundscape right you have to be able to kind of hear them and then be able to reproduce them that's why accents tend to be harder for people you know that rolled r that I, I do with lots of people, right? If you didn't grow up around like ever hearing it, it's a strange thing for your tongue to be able to just be like, yeah, no, I'm just gonna, my R's now. And it takes a lot of work, but it's all through like representation and what you hear. I, that was a long tangent, but. No, fabulous. I wanted to pick up on two things that you said. One, roticity, mm-hmm. um, which is all rhotic, non-rhotic. So that's whether or not you say the R, the R in your accent all the time, or if you don't. Mm-hmm. More on that next episode? Next episode. Next episode. Um, because, yeah, it's really interesting. So that, and the other thing you said was the IDEA, or the IDEA, which stands for the International Dialects of English Archive. Right. Which was started by Paul Meyer. Meyer? Meyer? Never know how to say his name. I think I can admire. His book is right here. Ah, oh, his little photo. He's lovely, lovely Paul. Um, so he started this archive. It's free. It's available on the internet. It's amazing, um, and it has clips of people from different parts of the world speaking a, an extract of English. 
which you can then listen to as a social archive, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of, it's just like a linguistic sample of like how they would say the words in their accent. And hopefully it's their native accent. It's not always. Not always, but it does give you quite a lot of information about that person. And then people who are part of the team at IDEA and also people like us um, and linguists also will submit um, transcriptions. So there are the phonetic transcriptions of the recordings as well. And they have an enormous backlog as far as I'm aware. So if you are a fan of the narrow transcription and you enjoy using your IPA and diacritics, um, if you don't know what that means, tune into a future episode. Uh, if you do know what that means, contact IDEA and get your pencil out because that would be amazing. So, ideas and language and how, which kind of is really interesting as voice teachers, like working predominantly with, but not exclusively, with performers and actors and creators and whatever, people who use their voices for storytelling. Mm-hmm. Because... We talk about imagery a lot, and we use imagery a lot. So like, how does that, you started with Play-Doh, right? And then we kind of went from Play-Doh to existential philosophy. <laughs> so what, how does like imagery and mimetics and stuff, what's that? So I use it more of, of like an accent thing because I think when people come into accents, they're always like, I want to sound exactly like this person from this part of this country and it's, I'm just going to do that and it's going to be that. But we always have to remember every time that we're performing, it is a representation, right? It's not reality TV and even reality TV is only a representation. And that's something about, you know, like um, the camera and you know, like the purpose of the camera is to show us very particular things. And, and stage is the same thing. Like you don't go, most of the time, you're not going on stage as yourself. And even if you are, it's a heightened version of yourself. Um, so, so we have to think about these things because, you know, then what are we representing? And the, the thing is, a lot of times that I have is not necessarily what are we representing, but how can we represent it? So how do we get something that is very abstract? Um, and that we understand in a very kind of ethereal way. So something like love or something like, um, or even sometimes power. And how does that manifest physically in terms of voice? Um, how, do we, how do we understand that somebody has um, a powerful voice? What does that sound like? What does it sound like when someone is in love? Or what does it sound like when someone's thinking? Right. These are these are things that are very like we understand it, but there is a there is a sound, there's a physicality that goes with it. Um, but there but they are kind of mental abstracts. You don't go to someone and you're like, love, you you right now represent love. Like that's not something that we understand. We do see anger, right? And we see like joyfulness, but the bigger things, um, I think we have a hard time conveying in terms of like acting and voice work. So a lot of it is just putting things together because it is a representation. Mm. Making sure, a lot of it too, is making sure that it's culturally relevant. 
So what what is understood as being a display of love in say Western society might not be considered a display of love in like Eastern um, kind of societies and communities. So that we're 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 also under and little and it can be little things. It can be I don't know like little finger movements or hand movements or something in your voice that goes up or goes down. You know like and those are the minute things that we talk about when we're talking about like mimetic rep representation. Like, are you representing the ethereal thing uh, accurately, I would say, I don't want to say correctly, but accurately for your audience, right? So that's my whole spiel. Wow. <laughs> but his whole thing was that basically, if we, if we bring it back to words, is that words are just completely inaccurate, right? Because by the time you take a concept like love and kind of water it down, every time you go through a form, because there are different forms and each of the forms have names and they had special things and stuff. I don't have all the time to get into that. But by the time you get down to the written thing, it's gotten diluted so much that it barely even, it barely even um, resembles the abstract that it was in the beginning. So we're just talking about something that possibly could vaguely link to something that is com that is bigger. So in his in his idea of this, um, the strongest and most accurate form was that kind of um, abstract ethereal concept. And all the words that we're using are just kind of getting in the way of that. Now, I don't know if he really figured out how we could communicate without these things. I don't know if that was the next step in that. Um, but that's what it is. There's like so much to say about that. <laughs> and I almost, well, I don't know where to start with it because it's not just, it's not just the everyday, it's the extraordinary. And how do you, I mean, isn't that the whole thing about poetry and, and song and almost everything that's ever been written dramatically, that it's about love, it's about, we're trying to articulate in some way, shape or form, the feelings that we have that we feel completely um, unable to articulate in, a, as, in a, as sophisticated a manner as it demands. Mm -hmm. So we spend our lives, I mean, how many people, when they have to eulogize about a relative or a loved one in whichever context, go to a book of poetry, go to Shakespeare, go to, you know, whatever, they go to something that, that allows them to express what they feel using somebody else's words because they're wordsmithery, or for want of a better word, phrase, or whatever, is, um, is so much more sophisticated than they could hope to achieve in that short space of time. Mm -hmm. um, and also it's practiced and it's, you know, but yeah, we're looking at it in such a tiny way and it's so, um, it's so universal to human beings Mm -hmm. And then to bring in culture to that, mm -hmm. and I was watching recently quite a lot of traditional Korean uh, singing, opera. I love that. Yeah, because I was editing a friend of mine's um, paper, 
and um, he's looking at pansori. But he was looking at pansori as a new way of using the voice in Korea and how that it's work, how it works. And I was watching it and reading the subtitles and thinking, this makes very little sense to me. And yet there are people in the audience going, oh, this is like so moving and it's so wonderful. I was trying to work out, um, I was trying to sort of uh, strip layers away and try and work out and try and find the sort of core of it because the core was the same. But underneath it is the same feeling. So the expression of it, that's what I'm trying to say. The expression of it is different, but the feeling is the same. So I was kind of having to strip away layers of, of, um, of like observation and try and really get into it. And eventually, after a while, I was able to kind of see what was going on and think, oh, actually, that is really interesting how they're using that. And also Pansori has then brought in lots of Western influences. So there's more of the kind of, um, it's less... Uh, sort of posturing and gesturing that is sort of predefined or prescribed um, and uh, a little bit like Victorian theatre was where you would have to sort of stand and declaim and then stand and declaim and then you'd do sort of arm movements and have a hand on hip and stuff. Um, but that, um, that it's moved from that sort of Victorian posturing sort of thing through the sort of Stanislavskian, um, you know, given circumstances into something that's more realistic or naturalistic. But then is it losing some of the traditions of the, like, is it losing some of the qualities of the traditions mm-hmm. um, and that sort of stuff? But it's really interesting that you say culture because... Of course, that has such a huge effect. And of course, everything changed with technology, didn't it? Right? Like, once cameras were invented and videos, you know what I mean? Our sense of understanding of reality was wildly different. Mm. Right? Even these, these postures, right, that, um, again, are representations, right? And they're representations of this idea. Like, yes, now, we, now, now we're speaking about love. And here's the posture for love. So everyone will be on the same page into understanding like, what form that we're, and, and what ethereal thing that we're actually talking about. Yeah. Now we see that it's different because almost every day you turn on something and you can see another person in their face and you can see emotion. Like you, you can see that happening. Whereas before, right, if you're going to have these, kind of existential talks with somebody like you like it, you were just a little bit further removed from what we understand to be a reality today right things are in books um and there, there's a lot more reading and then there was a lot more of, of all this other stuff so our understanding of what is accurately um understood to be a real emotion and what is understood to be a, a representation of an emotion is is very different from what it was before um and that and that includes voice right like we understand when someone's angry or when someone's upset or when somebody and that can be just a little tilt and it, or it can be you know it can be whatever it is and how it's represented what is it the, the cry one um that's the only one that i always remember <laughs> but it, it will evoke a um it'll be it evoke a certain response in you not necessarily because you're programmed that way but because um it, because that's the sound that you associate with crying, you know, as a child, maybe. Whereas mm-hmm. if you go somewhere else, that could be that could be a sound of joy in a different culture for a particular thing. And we and that's and that's what I think where 
performance gets a little bit tricky, right? Because you don't want to be using cry when it's a, when it's a joyful emotion for someone else. But that's a cultural thing and all that's changing. And it's just wild and beautiful and amazing. And I guess there's like this, there's a kind of cultural aesthetic as well. Yeah. So do you adhere to the cultural aesthetic? And sometimes, well, often we talk about it in, in um, sort of historical drama about what's the appropriate way to interpret this text? What's the appropriate way to interpret this song? Um, it's very, very obvious. I say obvious. It's very, very well documented in singing voice because singing jazz is not singing music theatre, is not singing opera, is not singing folk, is not singing blues, is different from gospel again. And, you know, there are so many permutations that there are, there are certain sort of aesthetic or stylistic requirements in order to be able to fulfil the brief of what it is to, to perform that repertoire. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose... Well, I suppose it is the same with kind of just human interaction mm -hmm. and linguistic interaction. And how often um, is it that, you know, especially as a Brit or at least a, a, a person raised in England, um, that I use sarcasm a lot and I use um, subtext and all those sorts of things and some cultures don't and some languages don't do that so we have them it's not a thing not a thing no and what's beautiful about that is what you just said about communication once that because people are always like well it's communication there are rules to communication like there are things that we go by and it's it's when you start to break those rules where you get things like sarcasm and you get things like irony and you get what essentially is comedy and I always felt very strongly like in terms of voice in terms of communication if you want to look at somebody who really understands how people communicate you look at a comedian because they break all they they know the rules and they break the rules for that reason um, and in a different podcast, when we talk about the rules of communication and um, maxims and graces, maxims and things, like we can go through that and how they do it and stuff. But it's really, and it has to do both with voice and it has to do with actual, you know, um, and the words and the intonation. All of those things have rules um, that are governed uh, within communication that signals to a person, hey, we're being funny now. Hey, you're being serious now, um, and there's a and there's a tone that goes with that too, and it's all about representation. If you if you misrepresent it, um, then the communication fails, which is why Plato was like, mm, "This isn't really a good system because like there's lots of failure and miscommunication happening everywhere." But that's like life, and that's where the beauty comes in and the drama. Hmm, that's exciting, isn't it? It's like inspiring. It makes me want to like, go out and write a book. <laughs> Go away now and write a book immediately. <laughs> the link for which will be on our Twitter feed, which is at Can You Hear Me Pod on Twitter. We're on Instagram, Can You Hear Me Podcast. Mm -hmm. We're on Facebook, Can You Hear Me at the Back on Facebook. Uh, YouTube, search for us. We don't have a channel yet until you subscribe, and then we'll have a channel. So, guys, it's kind of in your hands. 
So like, like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Oh yeah, like and subscribe. Yeah, that's important. Um, and also email. You can email us at can you hear me at the back at gmail.com. And oh yes, exciting news just before we started recording. We have officially been able to get through finally after literally two and a half weeks on iTunes on the podcast, and the podcast should hopefully fingers crossed, um, maybe even by the next episode, ah, be on iTunes. So if we're on iTunes and you are listening to us on iTunes right now, hi iTunes people, um, <laughs> can you scroll down to the bottom of the screen where it says best of and all that stuff and it says rate and review. Just tap your little finger on a five, uh, on a five star for how brilliant we are. And um, yeah, rate and review. If you'd like to review and just leave a little note, then please do. Uh, but make sure if you do, you've already tapped the five on the stars. Um, because then then we might get in the charts. I've always wanted to be in the charts. I've always wanted to say that. I'm on the Can you imagine? We'd be like... <laughs> we charted. <laughs> we charted in the new and noteworthy podcasts on iTunes. That would be so exciting. That would be really exciting. We'd have to do a podcast with some champagne, if that's the situation. <laughs> so yeah, get in touch with us. Follow us. Um, tell us what you like, what you don't like. Tell us um, what you want to, what you want us to talk about. Um, if you'd like to be featured, if you'd like to contribute in some way, we are totally up for that. That would be exciting and fabulous. And to end the podcast, Andrea, yeah, what's your realization for oh. the mimesis chapter? <laughs> um. Um, representation, um, oh my gosh, that's a loaded word now, isn't it? <laughs> like, representation is important. <laughs> I think that's what it is. But anyway, Leon, mm -hmm. what was your realization? My realization is that sometimes I think about language in quite a linear way, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think about it in quite a sort of specific context and that actually there's much more context to it than perhaps I pay attention to on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I spent the weekend, the last weekend in Barcelona with a lot of voice teachers and I spoke English, French and Spanish and I was listening to people speaking German and the way that people communicate in different languages is different and you do sort of notice it and the humor's different and you kind of go, okay. And I mean, my Finnish colleagues literally no idea what they're saying at all. And then they all laugh and you're like, I don't get it. <laughs> um, well, that's because Finnish is like, I mean, literally only the Finns speak Finnish. Um, it's not like a global language. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but the, but the, but the, the language context is enormous. Um, and it's not just about syntax going back to how we started the podcast, but it's about something more like the cultural is a layer above the sort of purely human. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. but we're all the same as humans, but then the way that we express it is different. And then the way that we then articulate it is again different. And, oh, it's just... 
Yeah, and that's where the representation comes in because every time you go you go up a layer or down a layer, however way you want to look at the forms ladder, yeah. right? Um, you gain something or you lose or um, or you lose something. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm going to keep saying mimetic. <laughs> I think we should just say mimetic every week. I mean, I probably will. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh. Okay. I think we're done. Okay. Bye. I can love you. Bye. <laughs>